Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Hendersonville Show. After a brief spring hiatus, we're back with a new series featuring local candidates running in next month's election. Today's episode is a conversation with Hillary Nemo Lounder, who's running for Sumner County School Board. Hillary is a native Nashvilleian, UT grad, Hendersonville resident, and parent of two boys in Sumner County Schools. Hillary and I talk all about what the school board is responsible for and get into some of the hot button issues impacting school boards all over the country. I hope you enjoyed this awesome conversation with Hillary Nemo Lounder. Hillary, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me today. Um, before diving into this, just quick intro, like you, you're running for school board here in Sumner County, um, specifically, is it district three? three. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gotcha. So let, let me ask you this. What exactly does a school board member do? We hear a lot about it, but at the end of the day, how much control do they have versus the principal versus the mayor, whatever it might be. Right. Um, well, the biggest thing that the board that is going to face coming up very quickly is the search for a new director. Um, since Dale Phillips is retiring, um, it'll fall on the board to hire a search team, um, which I would like to see someone, um, a private firm that will look kind of countrywide um, since our district is large and um, is going to take somebody that's got a little bit of background in in directing that large of a school system. Um, And then we'll be interviewing and then have to negotiate the contract for the new um, director. And then on a yearly basis, the the school board's kind of put together a budget. Um, We don't we put the budget together, but then it has to go to the county commission to be accepted. So it's mm. not like the school board just writes its own budget and then just starts writing checks. Like it, it is, has to be adopted by the county commission. So like checks and balances basically. Yes, exactly. Okay. And then on a routine basis, the school board, um, the members are supposed to be kind of checking in on the schools, um, which I don't know. Um, how much that's been done in the past. Um, I think now with social media, it's a little bit easier to see who's kind of checking in and um, maybe who's not. Um, And then it's everything from making sure the schools have all the supplies they need, um, coming up with job positions and the descriptions um, for those positions and what the pay might be for those, Um, you know, setting a pay range for teachers, um, and other staff, um, it, it, it encompasses quite a bit, but, but I think the focus in the next year is going to be really making sure that we get a good director in place and that it smoothly transitions. Gotcha. And so the director is a hired position, um, not, not an elected position, but ultimately comes from the people who are elected. And so it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of the, the role of the school board is obviously that, but then the financial elements, whether it's budget or when issues arise at the school, how to allocate funding for supplies, teachers. Is that a fair assessment? Yes, it, it's a lot of fiduciary stuff, but um, 
You know, it, there, there are other parts to the school board, like um, when a child is suspended or expelled or there's a one of the job listings is like to consolidate schools if needed, which in mm. our growing county, obviously, I can't imagine when we'd That's be not happening anytime soon. Yeah. You know, um, in, in it, they uh, help with um, getting teachers tenured. And then if something happens and a teacher who's tenured needs to be let go, it go that goes through the school board. So there's some stuff like that, but, but mainly I'm finding um, that it's, it's a lot of fiduciary stuff. Gotcha. So I, I got to ask, it sounds extremely complicated and there's a lot of moving parts and you're working with, you know, there's so many checks and balances. So you might not actually be able to make as much of an impact as, you know, some people might think a school board member would. So I guess, let me ask you this. What, what is your motivation behind running and getting well, involved? I, I've got two kids in Sumner County schools. Um, one's going into fourth, one's going into fifth, and both of them have been diagnosed dyslexic through the county. Um, and I found that if not for my background in social work and in education, it would have been a much more difficult process. And it, it's not um, that we did. We've got great principals at their boys school. We've had wonderful teachers. It's just that the process itself is a little difficult to navigate. Um and I thought, gosh, if I'm kind of having trouble and if it's taking so long to get services in place for my kids, what are people who don't really realize what the process is or who to reach out to? I just thought there's got to be a way to make it easier. And another job of the school board is to, to disseminate information. And I thought, you know, that could be something that that I could loop into. Um you know, and in advocating for additional um, resources mm -hmm. for kids that have learning differences um, and just kind of be that voice on the board that when we're looking at adding positions and we're looking at adding, you know, school safety things and and whatnot, that we're also considering what we can do to to make it easier for the kids to get services and to not have it all land on the teacher. They only have so much time. You know, we and some of the specialists, like some of the speech uh, people and OT, they cover more than one school. Like when we were having the boys tested um, through OT, it, it, it took a while because she's she's got several schools and, you know, she's got to write reports on everything. Mm -hmm. So you have so, to wait for them to come back to that school. Yeah. And Exactly. And same with the testing for dyslexia that has to be done by a school psychologist. And I, I think we could stand to have more of those type positions in the county. So what, I mean, on, on that note, just to drill down a little bit, like what would you advise to parents who have a, a student with some sort of learning differential, you know, whether it's dyslexia, autism or, or otherwise, right. um, I, I wouldn't even know where to start. Well, I, a couple of things. I, um, I reached out, we've been using a private uh, tutor for the boys since the beginning. I'm dyslexic and it's hereditary. So I kind of had it on my radar anyway. Mm -hmm. And she put me in touch with um, a lady who does the private testing. I spoke with her and she said, you know, I'll do it, but that's a service that's really supposed to be provided by the school. 
And I said, oh, well, how do we go about that? And so she kind of walked me through the, you know, you need to send something to the teacher and the principal, like an email so that there's that kind of starts the timer. And then they're supposed to have so many days before they respond and things like that. Um, I would like to see somewhere um, easier for parents to access where they can see the process. If you suspect your child has some sort of learning differential, then you need to do these steps. Right now, it's it's kind of difficult. And had I not plugged in with, with somebody who was well-versed in it, it, it would have been a more difficult um, situation because I did bring it up with the teachers, um, my concern. But um, like I said, they've got a whole lot on their plate. Mm-hmm. And so it was just a lot of emailing and following up to be perfectly honest. And I, and I think that that's what most parents find. You, you got to start local at, at your school. There's, you know, you got to reach out to the principal. And um, I don't, I also always tell people I love, would copy everybody on it. I would copy the school counselor, the homeroom teacher, anybody I could think of, you know, the lead educator, special education person, just so that we were all kind of in the same loop that we, I wasn't right. recreating the wheel every time, you know, I had to reach out to the school. So it sounds like, I mean, just from my experience working in companies and that sort of thing, it sounds like people are overworked and no one is really assigned or responsible to this, at least exclusively. And so a lot of these emails or requests just get lost in translation. Um, is that there, fair? Yeah, I think that's a fair analysis. The everybody is kind of being asked to wear too many hats, in my opinion. And I understand that this that the district doesn't have unlimited funds. You know, we can't mm-hmm. just willy-nilly just hire a ton of people. But but I do think we need to be more strategic about getting specialists in. You know, I had a parent tell me this week that their son who's um, nonverbal autistic, he's supposed to be getting some speech to the school art. Actually, no, their older son is supposed to be getting speech at school. He gets like five minutes a week. And while that's nice that the school provides that, it probably needs to be for bigger chunks of time um, for it, for it to be worth it. That makes sense. So uh, this kind of leads me to something that I I've thought about for a while. And obviously Nobody likes taxes. Nobody wants to raise taxes. But yes. at, the, at the end of the day, there are certain things that we can do with tax dollars that are a good investment. And whether or not they lead to future income growth, right? Like in theory, you could invest in our young people. And then 30 years down the road, that comes back in income tax or property tax or whatever else right. it might be. Um, and, and there's been a number of studies that show there's a positive ROI there. But what, like, is there is there a case for that? Is that just a political political suicide, so to speak, to propose <laughs> well, raising taxes? Yeah, no, nobody likes higher taxes. I mean, that that's just a given. I've I've not met people that are like we love higher taxes, but I have met quite a few people that that realize the fact that with higher taxes, there's a benefit that you know about three quarters of our tax dollars locally go into the school system. So people who tell me, oh, well, I don't really follow school board races because I don't have kids in school. And what 
I say to them is, yeah, but, but your tax money, you know, it behooves everybody to kind of be aware of what's going on, you know, with, with funding the schools. But if we want to have educated community members, it's what we've got to do. If, if we want, you know, to continue to, to grow and we're, people are attracted to Sumner County because of the schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I tell people, you know, as long as we have great schools, your, your uh, property values are great. I mean, there is kind of a win-win there, you know, uh, paying a little bit more in taxes, but having a higher property value, although then people get sometimes squirrely about if my property value goes up, then my property taxes increase. So right. you know, you're, you're never going to make everybody happy on that end, but I think if we're going to cut spending somewhere, I, I don't think education's where it's at. And I, I don't think that we can look at our, at what we're doing now and say that we're overpaying people. I mean, we're not, um, you know, our teachers got a raise, our bus drivers got a raise and they needed it. Our bus drivers were making just, nothing. And that, that's a hard job. I had a bus driver tell me, you know, if you're a teacher and you have a kid in your class that you struggle with, you have that kid for one year. If you're a bus driver, you may have that child on your route for five years, you know? So it, it's, it's not just, you know, driving a bus. And I I just think that that's, we've got to spend the money on the education. And I, I, People say, oh, the budget's too big, but I've, I've really not seen anyone come up with a budget that cuts. Like, I, I just don't know where they would want to make the cuts. Um, right. And, and it, as it seems we've got like more students, we've got to spend more. Our county's growing so fast that every time you add a child to a school, you, you got to fund it, you know. Um, and so, it, I mean, that, that kind of leads me to something. I mean, you would think... I, I mean, I guess property taxes are primarily what funds the schools. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So you would think that as we add more people, as new homes are being built, that would like you add students, you add headcount, but you're also adding um, new tax dollars. Is that correct? That is my understanding. Um, you know, that, that we're, because the, the, ba- the budget is balanced and it's balanced because there's been it's planning every year you're you're looking forward to we're going to have this many more students we're going to have this much more this much more tax revenue you okay. know so, so we're projecting not, that out yes it's not um just willy-nilly um oh look this year let's spend this amount of money i mean there is there is some direction put into it okay that yeah that i mean that certainly makes sense because I feel like with all the growth, like obviously we're going to have to increase spending, but also the revenue is going to increase along with that. Going back to what you said a moment ago about teacher salaries, bus driver salaries, whatever it might be, um, is, isn't it true that there's a major shortage um, of employees? Yes, schools? retention and recruitment of teachers and school staff all over the country is suffering. Um, teachers have just been given responsibility for too many things. 
And I, and I think a lot of times they don't feel like they're treated like the professionals that they are Mm -hmm. and they walk away and go, go do other things um, that don't require you arriving before your job is supposed to start and then staying for hours after your job is supposed to be over. And, um, and so we've got it, we had to make it we, we had to be competitive pay wise to keep the teachers that we have and to try to draw in new teachers. You know, this year we've opened the Liberty Creek schools. And so a lot of the other schools throughout the county, teachers left those schools to go to Liberty Creek. So it, it wasn't so a lot of different schools had hiring issues going into mm. the summer. They knew that they were leave, losing gym teachers, you know, uh, classroom teachers, uh, special ed assistants. Like, so we we had to do something to make sure that we were getting these, uh, spots filled. So you would think like, I don't know, I enjoy economics. So it, it, to me, it comes down to supply and demand. And if we're not getting enough teachers or enough quality teachers, not saying that people aren't quality, but like in theory, if you raise the compensation or, change the amount of work, like reduce the workload that would attract more talent. Um, Right. Well, and you have to figure you want your teachers to be as local as possible. No teachers, people don't want to drive from other counties. We, We want our teachers to be able to afford to live in Sumner County, to live in the community that they teach in. And it's, and it's not just a Sumner County problem. It's a nationwide problem with, with recruitment. Yeah, it really is. Why, why do you think in general teachers are paid less, you know, than I'd say positions with comparable education degrees? Exactly. Yeah. Because a lot Um, of them have master's degrees. Yes. And and in a lot of um, other companies, you know, as you acquire more degrees or more experience, you're compensated um, and, and they, they are to a certain extent, um, through the, the pay scale in the County, but I, I don't know at what point for some reason, there's never been a huge value put on teaching as far as, um, the dollar figures, people laud them, like thinking back to, um, you know, during COVID we talked about how the teachers were the heroes and, and, but when it comes to, to, paying them for some reason that just doesn't translate. I know that when I first started teaching, I made substantially less um, than people that I graduated with who also um, had bachelors. Mm -hmm. Um, And people will say, well, but they get the summers off. You know, it's not a year round job. Which is a nice perk, but... Yeah. And then that's not actually correct because they're also not working a 40 hour week. Let's be honest. They're working before the kids get there. They're working after the kids get there. They're working on the weekends, you know, and and it's sad because they'll say, well, they should get a job in the summer. They can work in the summer. Well, I mean, what kind of job are you getting for, you know, two months or whatever. We, we should think higher of them than that they need to go, you know, work retail or something temporary to, to add to their, you know, salary. Exactly. And, and I would tend to think at, at a certain point, like the qualified people who 
can get out of that situation where they're not having to work two jobs are going to, are going to leave. They're going to go to the private sector or whatever else it might be. Well, and that's why we were in the bus driver situation that we're in, you know, at where we were at the point where kids are sitting three to a seat or, you know, having to sit on the floor because there weren't enough bus drivers to run all the routes. So they were Mm -hmm. having to combine routes and in talking with bus drivers, they'd say, you know, it, it it didn't make sense pay wise to continue um, to be a bus driver because they were having to have second and third jobs. You know, we, we like to think that, Oh, these people that when people retire that they just, they would love to come and be bus drivers or crossing guards or, and, and that's not the case. Like no, we, someone who did that, but yeah, it's rare. Yeah, Some do. Some people really enjoy it, but we, we can't rely on the fact that we're going to have these, you know, retirees coming out of the woodwork to, to fill some of these positions. We need to make them paid at where it can be your, you know, a job. Exactly. That makes sense. Um, so I want to shift gears a little bit and get into some, some juicier topics. The past couple of years, it seems like schools, like particularly school boards have been more involved in politics. Just a number of issues that have, you've been hearing about in the news, like Wilson County has been on national news to some extent. So right. just and that, do like that a, played into my decision to run again as well. So were there any particular issues? Obviously, there's a number you can go into, whether it's COVID or school shootings or critical race theory, whatever it might be. Anything that motivated you specifically? Um, I I think when um, the the Wilson County, um, the Moms for Liberty uh, situation arose um, where they were wanting to have books removed from schools and um, things like that. I, I was just thought to myself, yeah, this has gotten a little squirrely. Um, I mean, I, I think librarians, teachers, principals, I think they're all professionals and they they should be trusted to pick out materials that they want to use, um, mm-hmm. you know, in the classroom and in the libraries. Um, I just, um, I, I've heard people say that, you know, parents should pick the curriculums or be more involved in picking the curriculum. My concern with that is having been a room mom, I can tell you that you cannot even get a room full of parents to agree on, should we have cookies or cupcakes? So I think when you start talking about something like an entire curriculum, I think there's a reason that we have people in place to vet those curriculums and, and look at them and decide what would work best for our county. I'm all for having parents involved in as many ways as possible, but there are just certain, certain things that you, you can't just open up to, you know, everybody to weigh in on. Um, it, it's just, it's not possible. It's not possible to do that and to continue to move forward and get decisions made and mm-hmm. things in place. Um, I mean, perhaps that's an open forum that that's done every few years to address the curriculum and yes and and i don't have a problem with that but and it is because that's a huge expense anytime you change curriculums in the schools it's a textbooks and yes it's people don't realize you don't just say we don't like this curriculum we're moving on to something else 
it that's a it's a huge investment that that counties make when they put these things in place so i don't think anybody takes it lightly i don't think it was a, it ever like a flippant um decision um you know I, I don't love that um out of the some of the covid legislature that that came from the state level um that school board races are partisan now mm-hmm. um, Never in the past has that been the case. Um, it was just kind of open. And and I think that that's just led to politicizing it even more. Um, I think anybody that wants to run for school board is doing it because they legitimately, you know, would like to see schools doing well. Um, it, it's just made, it's made running for school board more difficult, more polarizing than it should be and more expensive to be right because you have to spend on the the campaign and yeah i think that when races like that become more expensive it again limits who's able to run so do you do you think covid was the the main issue that divided people in this right like do we you know, mandate masks or whatever, open schools. Is that what was going on? And then all these other issues stemmed from that? I I think so. I think that a lot of people, to tell you the truth, their kids are in school from kindergarten to 12th grade, and they couldn't tell you who was on the school board or uh, what district they're in. Um, You know, it it was just something on the ballot, you know? And um, I think with COVID, that school boards became a lot more um, visible to people. People were like, who do I reach out to? I don't understand Mm -hmm. what's going on with masks. And so then um, all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, I have have a school board representative. I'm going to reach out to that person. And I think some people were really um, not thrilled with the communication. And, And I think that for a lot of the school board members, it was probably such a shift. I think they probably went long periods of time without getting a ton of emails. I'm sure they would get things like, you know, problems with lunches or buses or whatnot, but but I think they just got inundated. And I, I don't think that all of them necessarily knew how to, how to best navigate that. And um, I think people, a lot of parents, kind of felt ignored um, and felt like information wasn't getting to them quick enough that, Mm. you know, um, and that, and that decisions were being made at the last minute, but it was, we all know it was kind of a moving target. You know, it was, it was hard to make decisions too far in advance, you know, because you, you didn't know everything was changing so quickly. Um, but then again, for a lot of families, you can't make these changes on a dime. You know, people can't and child just, care and yes, they can't just hear at the last minute. Oh, you know, we're going to have to go to all virtual or, you know, and and then I know on the flip side, you know, there were parents with kids with special needs who, you know, there were people who think it didn't go far enough. And then there were people who thought it went too far. I really think that um, not just our school board, but a lot of school boards found that they were never going to be able to make everybody happy. It, you know, 
And I think then once school boards got on everybody's radar, then that's when things started to spring up about parents being more involved in decision making um, about about books and so on and so forth. Um, so, yeah, I guess school boards are kind of have, having their moment. <laughs> it's it, it was a messy situation. I, I don't know how you grapple with it. Um, there's definitely a health risk, maybe not so much to the kids, but to just having kids in schools um, right. w- with spreading COVID, but obviously the, yeah. the mental health risk of keeping kids at home and what the burden that is on parents, particularly low-income families. Right. There's no well, simple and, and solution. We struggled with it. I have a, my father has dementia. And so I, I try to help my mom out and, and they're, they're older. So we did not want to risk the kids bringing it home and, and giving it to Oma and Papa, you know, this before, you know, the uh, vaccinations mm-hmm. started happening. So we kept them home. They did virtual school for three out of the four, nine weeks. And that was also very eye opening. Um, just because w- with both of them at the ages they were at, you know, second and third grade, they both needed pretty constant help. And, mm-hmm. and I saw the teachers, you know, they, they worked extra hard to, to make sure that the kids weren't losing an entire year, but, you know, we also weren't able to get a lot of interventions for their dyslexia because it's not really something that could have been done virtually very easy. It's, some more could have been done, but, um, but also it, it was very interesting because now I can say I'm extremely familiar with the, especially the reading curriculum and um, and just how intense that is. And um, yeah, it, it, it was, it was a messy situation for everybody. And I think we were all trying as parents to do the best we can. And I wholeheartedly think the board was trying to do the best that they could as well in, in an, just a situation that nobody had any experience dealing with. Yeah, it was in many ways unprecedented as much as yeah. people have predicted something like this for years. Um, you know, we, we weren't prepared and that's unfortunately just the way it goes. Are there, just to wrap up the whole COVID conversation, are there any lessons that you might've learned and there was a parent or just applicable to schools that if this were to ever happen again, uh, how would we grapple with that? Well, I, I think we learned that a, our our teachers are able to pivot um, more so than we probably ever gave them credit for. Um, Because once the decision was made that some kids were going to be virtual, you had teachers who may have been teaching for, you know, 10 years and this was a whole new ball game. And I thought for the most part um, that when it kind of fell on them, that, that they rose to the occasion. And I think also our kids are way more resilient than um, we gave them credit for. Uh, There is, I think there's no denying that there's a loss that we've had some learning loss, Mm -hmm. you know, but so did everybody in the country. Um, You know, so like I said, I just, I think the kids are more resilient. That's why when I, I hear people question some of the texts that are used in the school and say, Oh, but it might be too much. For the children, I just think I, I don't think we give kids 
enough credit for what what they are able to process and and kind of take in and, and make it a learning experience. Yeah, I, I would agree. Like on, on that note, I, I tend to think we we talk in extremes, right? Like there's some school somewhere that banned a biography on Martin Luther King or whatever right. it might be. And we're like, oh, schools are trying to do that. Well, right. no, I, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily the case, but you know, at the same time, you shouldn't be showing second graders saving private Ryan or something like that. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's what it goes back to teachers and administrators and librarians. I think for the most part, can be trusted to make sound decisions on 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 what they're using uh at, you know as teaching tools um you know and now i i agree if you if there's a text that you find you know as a parent that you really have issues with there's nothing wrong with going to the principal and saying you know this is my my problem with this particular text you know, and, and start there. And if, if then you don't feel like you've, you've been heard, then by all means, uh, escalate it, you know, to your school board member, you know, have it, re have the text reviewed. Um, but I just what, think- What would be some examples of, I, I don't know if there's anything local, but- Locally, there's been a lot of criticism of the wit and wisdom curriculum. So what, what is, what is that exactly? Cause I, I hear the term a lot. It's a buzzword, yeah. but it's, it's a loaded it's subject. The, yeah. It's the, the, the curriculum that Sumner County bought. Um, and it's people, there's a lot of complaints about it, um, about people not liking wit and wisdom. And I think most people assume that it's the content of the text that people don't like, because there is quite a bit, um, uh, on civil rights and mm -hmm. some, some uncomfortable, um, you know, subjects, but they're age appropriate. Um, right. U S history has a lot of uncomfortable world. Exactly. History. That, and that's that is history. I, I think children are able to have conversations about race and where we were, where we're at, where we need to be going. Um, I mean, they're, they're growing up in this world. They, this is not the first that they're hearing or realizing about race, you know, in the, in the classroom reading about Martin Luther King or Ruby Bridges. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, there's enough in media around us that, that they're, they're getting it anyway. Um, but so people like to talk about, oh, that the teacher, uh, people are upset with wit and wisdom. And what I'm finding is that teacher, if a teacher says that they don't like wit and wisdom, it's not usually about the content. It's about, it's a very um, difficult to teach as far as it's very teacher led. Um, the, the, so it's more so the style of teaching. Yes. I, it's a very scripted um, teaching, you know, like you're, this is what you're telling the kids about the text. Um, and it doesn't lead to a teachers think it doesn't lead to necessarily a love of reading um, because some of the content, the kids are kind of like, eh, and there's not a whole lot of being able to kind of go outside of what is um, scripted for them to teach. It's, I think it's pretty labor intensive for them. Um, 
I don't love it. I have no problem with the content. In fact, some of the content I think is really great. I, as a parent of a dyslexic children, eh, it's it's a little much for them because it's it's very writing heavy and um mm. but it, it it's a well it's a it's not a curriculum we just randomly that I think the board just randomly picked. It's it's well thought of. Um and I'm sure, I don't know, I wasn't privy to it, but I'm sure that it wasn't the only curriculum that they looked at, um, you know, so, and, and there again, a lot of the same people who say we got to get rid of wit and wisdom are the same people who say, but we don't want to, we should be spending less on schools. Well, you can't do both. You can't come in with a new curriculum and not gotcha. spend more money. So you you kind of have to, you know, obviously this is probably not going to be the curriculum forever. I'm not sure how many years um, they usually keep a curriculum before they switch, but this one's pretty new. So I can't imagine it's going to be in the next, you know, year or anything. Gotcha. No, th that's interesting. So the criticism of wit and wisdom, I guess it's important. We don't conflate the content with with the style because those are which two very i mean don't things. get me wrong don't get me wrong a lot of people dislike the content it's, yeah yeah of course you know but but i think that's kind of a vocal minority as far as the not liking the content i think more people who say they don't like it when i talk to them talk to parents and teachers is that it's just kind of a tough curriculum it, gotcha it, it's it's not you're, you're the kids aren't bringing home a lot of fun store. Like it's, it's, it's pretty intense, you know, but again, like I said, kids can rise to that. I mean, the, and they do. And our teachers have taken on the curriculum and are, and are teaching it. So, you know, I, I think that, like I said, the concerns for wit and wisdom aren't as much about the content as just the, the teaching of it itself. That makes sense. So can I ask you about safety and I mean, a somber subject, but school shootings, obviously what happened in Uvalde a couple of weeks ago, uh, tragic, but it seems like all too often, I, albeit it's rare, like the risk of a school shooting is rare in the grand scheme of things, but it, it just seems like it's all too common these days. And oh, so I'm curious what's terrifying. going on and you know, there's talk about arming teachers and stuff like that. I'll go on record and say that I think the, the way the U.S. handles guns is absurd and we should be more like the European nations, but I'm biased in that regards. Yes, I, I'm, I uh, kind of I land with you on that. Um, I, when my boys were little, when the shooting in Newtown happened, it was just shocking to me, um, you know, and it continues to be not as much shocking, sadly, every time these things happen, but just kind of heart wrenching. Um, I find myself when I walk into schools looking around, you know, to see um, what safety things they have in place. You know, I don't think arming the teachers is the way to go. I, I don't think that. You, you can't have a teacher that has a secured weapon in the classroom, but then would be able to unsecure it faster. I, mm -hmm. I, I just, I, I don't think that realistically um, that, that that's the answer. I do think that we have a lot of schools in Sumner County that um, are older 
and were built prior to these concerns. And I think that there's going to have to be um, money spent. And again, people want safe schools, but they don't want to spend the money. You know, the newer schools like Liberty Creek were designed when they design schools. Now they design them for safety. They factor that risk. Yeah. To where like when my boys school was built, that was not so much a, um, a forefront. So they all have glass doors that from every classroom that open to the outside. Interesting. Okay. You know, to me, it, I mean, every classroom and it, it terrifies me. Every time I'm at the school visiting them, I think, God, this, and you know, and I brought that up um, with someone the other day that's been involved with the building over at Liberty Creek. And I said, but what, what could you do? And he was saying, well, to put, you know, bulletproof glass all the way down that, you know, all the sides, it's just cost prohibitive. Mm -hmm. And so it it just, I just feel like we've got to constantly be evaluating the schools and seeing what we can do to shore up those those issues. Um, you know, I think we've come, Sumner County has done a great job working with the sheriff's department to get the SROs in the schools. I, um, I heard somewhere, I, my wife told me, she said every school in Sumner County has five SROs. Um, oh, no. We have seemed- I, No, I don't think, I, unless they've hired considerably more, we've had one. Uh, okay. I was going to say five seemed. Now, excessive. the high schools may. Um, employ more um, because they're not so much at the grade school level, the elementary level, the SRO is not necessarily there to break up student issues. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was in school, they taught dare and said, you know, don't do drugs. And right. Well, um, you know, they kind of constantly are monitoring the grounds. um, And I feel good having them there. Um, would I like to see more security always? Um, I'm not sure how all the schools are, but I know like at Jack Anderson, we've got, there's a lot of um, cameras where they're monitoring who's coming in and out of the school. Um, I know that parents have to be buzzed in, you know, and you'd have to have an ID. And um, I know that that's that way at some other schools. I'm a CASA volunteer. So I kind of go in and out of schools with, um, with some of the kids that I have and, and most have a pretty good, you know, scan you in. The only thing is anybody can say, I'm here to pick up a kid and they say, okay. And they buzz you in. And so once we get kind of lax in, with, yeah, with that. Yeah. It's, and, and without, you know, having, I don't know, I don't know the answer. And, I guess, like I said, all the school board can do is continue to research what other districts are doing. How are, how are other people successfully retrofitting the older schools? You know, cause I know, like I said, when they built Liberty Creek, that was one of the things they really researched. How do we make this the safest design possible? Um, and, and yeah, we're, we're just going to have to continue as we, as we have to upgrade schools all the time anyway, as we're upgrading, that needs to be something we're thinking about. Like if we're going to be upgrading this school, we need to budget to also, you know, cover from a safety issue, from a safety position. Don't do that. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) 
it sounds really messy. It, what I'm learning from talking to different people is that there's no right answer. It seems like everyone is legitimately trying their best to find the solution. So I think there just needs to be a little bit of grace with figuring things out. Unfortunately, in some situations, it's life and death, but. Yeah. And, and, and I also think actually asking the the teachers, Hey, what would make you feel safe? They know the school and the classroom better than anybody. You know, what, what things can we do to make you feel safer? You know, um, because let's face it, the teacher's going to be the one who's standing, you know, between something bad happening and our kids. And, you know, so I, I really think that to not, to not include them in the conversation is, is missing a a good opportunity. That makes sense. Well, um, Hillary, I think we're about out of time, but to wrap things up, I just wanted to open it up to you. If you have any asks of, of the audience or just, you know, communicate why, why you think people should vote for you and, and what you might bring to the table. I know we touched on a lot of that and your your views and background, but uh, just to close closing thoughts. Yeah. I, I, first of all, I encourage everybody to go to govotetn.gov um, and find out your district. And there, there have been there are ways to to research the people that are running for school board. Most of us have a Facebook page and or a website or have been interviewed by the newspaper or done a podcast like this. You don't have to go into voting blindly. Um, you you don't need to base your vote on who's how many signs you saw, like, just take a minute, find your district, do a little bit of research and then get out there and vote. These races can literally be decided by one or two votes in the past. The district I'm running in has been decided by less than five votes. Wow. So to say every vote counts is never truer than in these, these, these local races. This is where your vote really does make a huge impact. We unfortunately only have about expected to have about 5% of voters turn out to vote. We only Uh, had about 14% in the primary. We only had about 14 in the primary. And since so many races were decided in the primary, they're scared that people won't get back out to vote in this general election. So I've spent just a lot of time encouraging people to vote um, and to educate people on the fact that in the um, general election, you can cross party vote. Unlike the primary where if you pulled the Democrat ballot, you may not have had anybody to vote for. Um, Or you, you like me, but you're a registered Republican. You didn't want to pull a Democratic ballot. You have the chance in the general election to vote with your party as much as as you want, but then also cross vote for these races that really probably should never have been made partisan anyway. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I would encourage all people to cross party lines sometimes and, and votes. Yeah. I, I like to tell people I've never voted for the same party in a presidential election. So it's, right. uh, it's important to be, to be balanced, at least to some extent. And, yes. And that's, that's what I'm saying. If I just think if people will invest maybe 30 minutes of time researching candidates. And then if you early vote, you're out about another 20 minutes to get there, go in and out. You're, you can in under an hour make a pretty informed vote and really make a difference on the, on the local level. 
definitely. That that makes sense. Hillary, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for well, thank you for offering this. me this opportunity. I've enjoyed it. Thank you to everyone who tuned in to this episode of the Hendersonville Show, and thank you to Hillary for taking the time to have this awesome conversation. As a reminder, election day is Tuesday, August 4th, and early voting begins on July 15th. Now, before we go, I want to leave you with a short quote from Nelson Mandela. Education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. Until next time, stay classy, Hendersonville.